Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. But you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the rulership of God and His righteousness in your life. Now, seeking the kingdom of God is not just trying to get into heaven when you're dead. It's trying to make Christ alive in your daily walk. To walk with Christ. To walk in His ways. I mean, Christianity wasn't called Christianity originally. It was called the way. And the way Christians were going is not the way that you see Christians going today. Or people calling themselves Christians. Because Christians really are going the way. If a Christian is someone who is following Christ, then a, a Christian is following the way. If you're not following the way, no matter what you tell me, you're not a Christian. Because what you tell me is not just what you say, but what you do. That's the way Jesus approached things. He says, not those who say, but those who do. That's, that's very important. So people talk about following Christ, obeying Christ, uh, accepting Christ, uh, uh, doing things in the name of Christ. It's doing things according to the character of Christ. And I'll tell you that many, 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 many Christians today are not doing what Christ said. As a matter of fact, many of those Christians are doing the opposite of what Christ said. They're actually doing what the Pharisees said. And uh, this, this is all really part of a series that I started a while ago that called The Enemy. The Enemy is Us. And then it went on to... Uh, uh, talking about um, prayers and uh, uh, petitions and uh, and that sort of thing. And uh, now we're kind of talking about the path, the path of Christianity. Because there's a lot of people calling themselves Christians that are not Christians. You know, there's a lot of talk about Muslims. And, and then, of course, now there are some Christians, they'll take uh, Mormons and they're not Christians. And uh, Jehovah Witnesses and they're not Christians. They're using the Bible, but they're not Christians. Or Catholics. There's a lot of people who say Catholics are not Christians. That Catholicism is a cult. And there are certainly a lot of Protestant groups that are very cultish. And, of course, then again, what is the definition of the word cult? Because the Roman cult, the Roman imperial cult, back at the time of Christ, which was the pagans, supposedly, they all had beliefs, etc., etc., but the cult part, what is a cult? A cult is something, you know, it, when we think of cult now, we think of some sort of guru-type leader or, or group or something, because the leader might even be dead, and you get into this cult, and then you can't get out. You know, you try to get out, but, uh, you know, they, they, you know, like in some of the really obvious cult groups, they, they control all your money, they control your phone, they can control your life, control your thinking, and they're very manipulative and demanding. And so once you're in, it's really hard to get out, and people have to go and and grab them and literally kidnap them away. And sometimes they have to do what they call intervention and talk to them and keep them away from them and, and all these things. And one of the signs of a cult is that the the cult is going to try to keep the people away from their family, break their old ties, break their old habits, and get them addicted 
to the cult. So that you're, they're looking to the cult for support. You know, a lot of the uh, PSYOPs uh, groups that, that they will actually go around and recruit, I mean, military PSYOPs groups in different countries will do this. And, and the United States is not immune to this by any means whatsoever. It, within the United States, vast military complex, I am, have no doubt whatsoever that there are groups or branches all the way back to Lee Harvey Oswald. You know, I mean, you got pictures of him with known CIA agents when he was a teenager. And he gets involved with these known CIA agents. And he's actually working for the CIA, doing things for the CIA when he's a teenager in high school. And uh, and this gets them involved at a young age, gets them looking to their mentors, uh, you know, their handlers, and loyal to them and dependent upon them for emotional support, mental emotional support, as well as physical and, and financial support. And it gives them a sense of purpose and they become very loyal. And in in some of these ops in countries, they will actually do things that are uh, humiliating, degenerating. But then they, you know, like secretive, uh, embarrassing things. And, uh, you know, like the mafia does this. They try to, you know, in order to get with the end guys, you have to kill somebody. You know, uh, or beat somebody up or something, and then they know they got your loyalty. And it's it's all hypnotic. It's all mind control. Uh, it's been used since the days of Genghis Khan and beyond. It's just part... I mean, that's what the serpent was doing. Seducing, subtly seducing people to think a particular way, to develop loyalty uh, with them, you know, with praise and... And uh, and support and lonely people, people without family support, without community support, or feel like they're missing some of that, maybe from guilt or maybe from neglect or whatever. They can easily fall prey to that. And you, you, uh, and some of the people doing it, they're not even being cruel or mean. They're actually, and sometimes they're actually helping you because somebody, you know, what was it the the the, the kid who ended up running Starbucks or something. I believe it was his story where, you know, he couldn't even hold a job at McDonald's, you know, and he had his anger issues and it was all, you know, his parents had been drug addicts. I, I think it was him. It might have been somebody else, but this, the same process, I'm sure, happens all over. And they're, they're pretty dysfunctional as adults. And then somebody helps them. Somebody helps them start seeing how certain things work. And they... They are willing to see it and they change and they alter the way they look at life and world and handle situations. And supposedly the uh, Starbucks uh, guy, who's I guess a multimillionaire now, he would do things to help. Uh, he became a manager of a coffee shop. I don't know if it was Starbucks then, but anyway. And he began to start this training program to get people to think a particular way. To look at life a particular way. Look at dealing with irate customers a particular way. So that they could learn to handle it and wouldn't fall into the habit of reacting and anger and all this stuff. And it, it's it's life-altering. And they sell lots of coffee. <laughs> and they make a living. 
and they have families and everything, and it has helped them adjust. But it's hypnotic. It's a trick. It's, it doesn't really change your soul, necessarily. Your soul might change, but it isn't the trick that changes it. It's a, a trick of the mind, where instead of falling into the habit of getting angry, you know, people have things like count to ten. Well, if you do that wrongly, after a while counting to ten, yeah, that was one of the things in, in uh, the story of Little Dorrit, um, which I believe is that... Uh, uh, I forget, forgot who wrote that. <laughs> Is that Copperfield? But anyway, uh, uh, the uh, the uh, story is uh, it, it, there was one uh, a character in there that was getting antsy and angry and, and not without some cause, but still getting angry. There is no excuse. You know, there may be a cause and it may be somewhat disassociated, but it, it makes you a slave if you become angry. If if somebody could punch your buttons and make you angry, you're a slave to that person. Because they made you angry. They're the cause and effect in your life. You're not walking with Christ. You're walking with them. You're walking with them in anger, but they got you. What you do is a result of what they did, not of a particular choice that you made. Except for you chose not to walk with God, and so therefore you had this button... Because, see, if you walked with God, you would be forgiving people and they couldn't make you angry. Now, did you follow that? That's just a little quick statement there. If if people can make you angry, you're not walking with God. You Because, you know, they could make Christ angry when they nailed him to the cross. But they can make you angry just by saying a few words. So, you're not coming in the name of Christ. Now, I'm not condemning you for it. I'm telling you that's a sign. That's evidence to you that you have need of repentance. That's a good thing to know that if you're angry, you're not walking with Christ. You Now you can want to walk with Christ. You can want to give up your anger. You can desire to give up your anger. But it has to be taken away from you. And the way it's taken away from you is first you have to forgive the person that made you angry. But what they were doing in the in the story, Little Dorrit, is they were telling them to count to one and ten. You know, one, two, and let the anger pass. Wasn't that the button wasn't pushed? It's just that they didn't react to the button. They watched the button while they counted. It, counting distracted them from reacting. And it kind of what they were doing was studying to be not angry. They were studying their anger. They were waiting waiting to get angry by counting to ten. You have to count to ten first, and then I can get angry. But of course, while you're counting to ten, between every number, you're thinking about the anger. You're seeing it. You're studying it. Being aware of it. And you're doing something so as not to blow your top. So you've done both observed your anger and do something to avoid that anger. You were fasting from anger while you counted to ten. And so that's actually what's happening. But if the person who's telling you to count to ten is partially to blame for pushing the button, then you could actually become more angry. Every time you count one, 
to, between those, those pauses in between there, while you're getting ready to say the next number, you're actually getting more angry. <laughs> because you're do, you keep looking, instead of looking at your anger, you're looking at the person who pushed, pushed your button. Now, if you can, if you can picture that in your mind and follow that little metaphor there, you can now transfer that pattern over to politics. You're now going to elect a new president, you know, say this year. It's going to be an election year. And first, we got to get you angry at all the other guys. You know, we got to get mad at the other guys. You know, like Donald Trump is running for president. And that makes a lot of people mad. A lot of people hate Donald Trump. The, the, I was, I was speaking to somebody just the other day, uh, and I said to them, I said, your husband gets too upset about politics. And we were joking around. And, uh, and he does. I mean, he just gets so fired up. I think he's going to blow a gasket. You know, I, I worry about him. I know he's got high blood pressure. And I, I was, I was telling him, I met him on the road and said, hey, you know, you got to calm down. And he says, oh, but it makes me so mad. And I says, yeah, but that, you, that is not going to help. You get all worked up mad. You have to get calm and think straight. Well, of course, now he's all for Trump because all the other guys make him so mad. And I say, you know, uh, that, you know, I, I told her that your husband gets too upset and, she, she, you, you could almost see her getting upset. I know. I tell him I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> I mean, this guy, he gets really worked up. He's a nice guy, but, uh, it's not doing his, his health any good to get that worked up. I mean, righteousness is righteousness. You don't have to get angry to stand up for righteousness. You shouldn't. Because it, you will fall. You will, you will not be able to face the enemy if you try to face the enemy with anger. Because the evil, Feeds on anger. I mean, I mean, didn't you guys even watch Star Wars? <laughs> you know, anger draws you into the dark side. You can't defeat Darth Vader with anger. You defeat Darth Vader with love. <laughs> That's the power. So anyway, I mean, the analogies are there. They're popping up all over the place. In even Hollywood is telling you the truth, but you've got to. Get past the special effects and see the truth. But anyway, another guy that was there when this conversation took, but when I said, Donald Trump is not your salvation. <laughs> and none of the candidates are. So I'm not, I'm not telling you to vote for her, But And uh, he says, oh, well, thank you. And he reaches across to shake my hand. We finally agree on something, you know. And he's our bleeding heart liberal. He voted for Obama twice. And uh, uh, and I said, yes, we are in agreement, but not for the same reasons. <laughs> and we all had a good chuckle on it. Uh, you know, and in a way, I'm actually imparting to them the truth. And I get away. I can say all these things to And nobody gets angry when I'm, uh, although I will mention something about somebody else in their relationship and I will see anger come out of them. I can leave them with a smile. Because it's not about anger. It's about love. That is where your salvation is. But it's got to be real love. Real love rebukes one another. As many as I love, I also rebuke. So I'm giving you guys a heads up. 
this show, which is about the path to liberty. The truth shall set you free. I'm going to have to do some serious uh, toe-to-toe rebuking. Because a lot of you think you're Christians, and you're not. A lot of you think that you have repented, and you haven't. A lot of you think you have accepted Jesus Christ into your hearts as your personal Savior, and you have not. Now, many of you have accepted some of the character of Jesus Christ into your hearts as your personal Savior. And it has made a difference in your life. And you have changed. But you have to accept the whole truth of Jesus Christ. That's where we want to take you. As a pastor, you have to... It it is my obligation to lead you to the whole truth. And as a minister, it is my job to help you to provide for that truth. That's that's my job as a shepherd. In this series, you know, we talked about sheep. And, you know, sheep going astray. One, one sheep of the flock steps off the path. And other sheep follow them. And then more. And because now you got four sheep following the two that are following the one. And then you get more and more and more. And the shepherd has to go up. And I didn't sick the dog on him. You know, the, the border collie doesn't bite the sheep. It goes around them and just intimidates them a little bit and gets them to come back where they're supposed to if he's if he's doing his job. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but anyway, I went up around them and got them back on the path. And they started going. Only one sheep out of the whole flock continued to go the right way. And uh, the others... And, and the interesting thing was the one that was that went the right way, it was partly because it was it's it's an older sheep and it was lagging behind the other sheep, so it it didn't go off the path. You know, on the book Covenants of the Gods, you know, contracts with the gods of this world is what that title really says. It's your contract with the gods, the ruling judges of this world. And you have contracts with them because you get their benefits. You apply for their benefits. Greatest destroyers of liberty are the givers of granters of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. That's how it works. Polybius told you this. John the Baptist told you this. Peter told you this. Jesus Christ told you this. Moses told you this. So you you call yourself a Jew. You call yourself a Muslim. You call yourself a Christian, and you're making covenants. With the gods, because you don't know the meaning of the words God. The God is the ruling judge. You're making men the ruling judges of your life. And we're going to show you in this series how making men the ruling judges of your life makes you, makes you a worker of iniquity. Because when they do iniquity and you have put them into power. And how do you put them into power? By neglecting your power. What is power? The right to choose. By neglecting your right, you give them power. We've talked about sacred purpose trust, etc., etc., and we have to have oversight and all this kind of stuff in the working of the church. And if you don't, 
you are neglecting your right to choose and somebody else will come into that vacuum and take over for the church and that's what's happened. That's why the church, there isn't a free church and we go through this in the book Free Church Report. You know, so there, I mean, there's several books out there that we have. There really needs to be more. I need to write more. But the laborers are few. We're, we're looking for people who really want to dedicate their life to Christ. Not, not playing in church, but really dedicated to what the real church was supposed to do, which was to set the captive free. But you don't set the captive free by saying, oh, you don't have this responsibility. You don't have that responsibility. You don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to do this. You have to do, you know, whatever. You want to set the captive free, you say, okay, you got to do this, 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 this. <laughs> what are these thises? You have to take back your responsibilities. That's the trick. And I'm going to show you how Christians took back their responsibilities. And I'm going to show you how you are not. If Christ was here speaking to most of the Christians today, he would say, woe unto you, hypocrites. To most of the Christians. I'm saying this to most of the Christians. But you have to remember when Christ says this, even to the Pharisees, he's saying it because he loves them. Because as many as he loves, he also rebukes. That is not just a casual statement. That's the way it works. And you are in great need of rebuke. That's why the world is messed up. If all the people who say, who say, who say they are Christians in America were Christians, were really Christians, doers of the word, America would not be in any of the hard problems and troubles that it's in today. If half, 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 (laughs) I'm repeating this for a reason, of the people who say they are Christians, were really doing what Christ said, this country would not be in the problems that it is in today. But the truth is, apostasy reigns in the modern church. They are not following Christ. Now, that that's a terrible thing to say about all those lovely Christians. But the strong delusion isn't coming. It's here. And you're under it. I'm going to show you you're under it. So I'm giving you a heads up. I'm not attacking your delusion. I'm going to lay it out on the table. And you can choose to eat or not. But do not fast from the Eucharist of Christ. When I take the time, other people take the time to make these shows available to you, these recordings available to you, these sermons available to you, we are doing it at our personal sacrifice out of love for you. We're not trying to condemn you. We're trying to show you the path to liberty under Christ, to true salvation, to to set you free. We'll be back and we'll talk more about this in a minute on Keys of the Kingdom.
The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind, and the Lord raiseth them up that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. This is Psalms 146.8. God's love opens your eyes. It takes the scales off your eyes. But in order to receive God's love, you must be willing to see. But if you think you see already, then Christ talks about you will be made blind. This is part of the teachings that Christ gave us. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. Well, he's talking about those who think they already know. And so what we're doing in these series is trying to show you what Christ was trying to help people see. And Peter would say the same thing, that through covetousness, that you would be made merchandise. You would curse your children. You, you would go back and become entangled in the elements of the world. That is the cause. When we talk about contracts in the world and of the world, we're simply talking about systems and agreements where you can actually see the evidence of the fact that you're already in agreement with ideas like one purse, like eating at the table of kings, uh, benefactors who exercise authority. And they're not really benefactors. They only give you what they take away from others. These are the fathers of the earth. These are the terminologies. And we show you the history. We show you how this applied back then. We show you how it applied throughout the ages. We show you how it applied in our t- times today. But it is absolutely essential that you change what you are in agreement with. That's repentance. You're in agreement with the idea that it's okay to covet. It's okay to desire what belongs to your neighbor for your personal benefit. And it's okay not to forgive. Christ's love will open your eyes. But it also will be like hot coals upon the head of those who do not want to see. They will hate it. If Christ is in you, if you're coming in the name of Christ, you need to be coming with a desire to serve, to forgive, to be a righteous individual. That is your desire. And you need to act. Not just say, Lord, Lord, but actually become a doer of that word. And then His love can bless you. His grace. If you only love those who love you, if you only love those who help you, care about you, that are close to you, What grace have you? This is what it says. I want you to keep that in mind. Do not get carried away with contracts and jurisdictions and laws, etc. Keep in mind that this is about coming into agreement with Christ. And join the network. Find other people seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That daily ministration based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. A government that does not exercise authority, but exercises love and charity and hope. And until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, we, in this series, starting off with the enemy is us and paths and prayers and and uh, uh, I guess we could also include privilege in that because uh, we've been occasionally bouncing off this organ standoff, uh, whatever you want to call it, protest, uh, occupy refuge movement uh, in. Uh, Oregon out here, and uh, uh, Bundy and a number of people are occupying the refuge, and they're cleaning up things, and they're uh, they're really nonviolent people for the most. I mean, there are people that are very upset, and and with good cause, uh, but I can't justify being angry uh, because anger in itself is not righteousness. But uh, they're protesting this. And uh, if I was president, <laughs> if that would ever happen, I would have pardoned the Hammonds already and sent them home. And uh, in, in a twinkling of an eye, under no conditions whatsoever, I would uh, set the FBI on investigating some of the activities of the BLM and abuses. I would get the Justice Department. Uh, investigating some of the activities because there's a great deal of injustice. I mean, when the uh, and those thirty some odd ranchers who were flooded out by the the horrible things that the BLM were doing, you know, if you if you want to flood out huge areas of ground, move change the flow of water from one place that has been for years and years and years and move it to another. You got to get an environmental impact statement. You got to study and see what's going to happen and everything. Well, all the ranchers are saying, if you do this, if you if you move that water over here, you're going to flood us out. Because they knew the area. Their parents were there. Their grandparents were there. They know what happens in the desert. Sometimes it rains and water flows. If you divert water there and fill it up ahead of time when it's a drought period. When the water does come, you're going to flood everybody out. And that's what happened. They flooded their ranches. They made their ranches almost worthless, which was a damaged thing. You know, the government really should owe them money because they've damaged their property. Instead, they buy them out for pennies on the dollar. And they have to go somewhere else and start all over. Their ranches have been in their families for years and years you know, pioneers who proved up this country. There wouldn't even be roads out there if it wasn't for ranchers and miners and loggers. That's how you got the roads. Those are the guys who paid for the roads. That's why you can go out there and see nature. The ranchers saved the refuge to begin with. Other people wanted to drain it, but the ranchers said, no, there's no point in draining it. You can't farm that ground. It should remain a swamp and, and a wetland. Ranchers saved it. Time and time again, this is a matter of history. And I think there was nine times people were going to try to drain that with the government's approval. I mean, obviously now, you all being concerned about the weightier matters of, you know, law, judgment, mercy, and faith, you've all gone and read the uh, Swamp Reduction Act. You know, did you read that? Graze, uh, Taylor Grazing Act. Did you read that? You didn't read that? Then you're ignorant. <laughs> you haven't been attending to law. You don't know what's going on. You don't even know what's going on. Actually, I met a guy just yesterday who knows the judge. 
uh, that that originally was uh, presiding over the case and said that if the Hammond spent any more time in jail than the few months that he gave them, it would shock the conscience. But the appeals court said, we don't care. They're going to go to jail for 10 years, five years apiece. Because you know why? They don't have any conscience. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but they're the ones you've put in charge. Why? Because you've neglected what Christ said you should be doing. You've neglected the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But anyway, I read a, uh, a little bit of an article. I didn't read the whole thing. It was just ridiculous. Uh, by Ben Norton. And I think it was probably Huffington Post or somebody publishing it. And he states in it, The Oregon standoff makes one thing clear. The U.S. government is fundamentally right-wing. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, your your president, his cabinet, they're all communists. Uh, appointees, <laughs> left and right, are communists. Extreme left wing. <laughs> Most of the people that are in uh, federal uh, offices are left wing. Very few conservatives. Uh, in your educational systems that are educating the people that are going into these offices, extremely left wing. And, and and I'm not I'm not going to advocate left or right. I'm not advocating Republican or Democrat because I really don't. You know, all the, most of your Republican candidates they're all left wing too. Uh, and, and I don't even understand left right wing stuff. I understand righteousness. And and the idea that you vote conservative, you voted righteousness. No, that's ridiculous. You know. Uh, you know, I was trying to think of an analogy, but I, I, I would, I don't get any good analogies that I can say on the air. <laughs> but the choice is really between the devil and the deep blue sea. It's not going to make any difference. But um, you can delude yourself into thinking, well, we vote for this guy because he is for this and he is for that, and then gets in and you find out he's not. I mean, I, I, I just personally don't believe Trump. I think it's a. I think it's a show. I think he's putting on a show because I mean I saw him years ago and he didn't believe any of these things. I mean he he was total Democrat. Clinton. I mean, the there is no sides here. <laughs> I am talking about your real salvation, your real path to liberty, is not found in politics. It's found in righteousness. But anyway, he goes on to say in his article, if the armed gunmen weren't white, or if they were leftists, they would have been arrayed by now. Uh, you know, they got in there shooting them up. Well, that's ridiculous. You know, and it's the same kind of rhetoric you, you hear where people say, oh, the whites have never been oppressed like the blacks were. What? <laughs> You know, it used to be against the law to teach an Irishman to read. <laughs> That's right. Irish were rounded up by the hundreds of thousands, even by the millions, if you take the history of it, uh, and shipped off into slavery uh, by the Corsairs, by the English, by all kinds of people. That They actually were buying uh, Irish women, young girls, and use them to breed with blacks to get mulattoes. 
by the thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. They were just bought for breeding machines with blacks because the mulattoes were so much better and easier to handle and 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 uh, seemed to be smarter or work harder or something. Honestly. They just treated it like crossbreeding. And they got traits. They were using Irish women and they used Irish men as cattle. You know, if you crossbreed a Columbia ewe with a blackface ewe, just happens to be a blackface, but you know, like a suffix or hamp uh, ewe, which come out of like the Tunis sheep that have these black hairy faces, but they're woolly white sheep. You're going to get what they call crossbred vigor. You're going to get uh, an animal that gains weight and but still has this herding instinct to some degree, and and it's just going to do better because you're you're taking these two genetic lines. But then, you know, the the next generation down, you may get something better, or you may get you, you start getting more confusing as the genes begin to get mixed up. But when you take purebred Colombian which comes out of Merino and, uh, and uh, I can't remember what the other breeds were. Lincoln, I think it was. Uh, sheep. But it's a, it's a purebred Colombian. And you breed it to a male suffix or hamp. You're going to get what they call crossbred vigor. And that lamb is going to be bigger, fatter, grow faster. And we know that from genetics and from crossbreeding. It's just techniques that they use. You don't keep that crossbred for producing. That just goes to meat. But that's, uh, you know, that's just in the breeding science. Well, that's the way they were treating the Irish and the blacks. They're just livestock. Beasts of the fields. And, and they would just round them up and do this. And like I said, the Corsairs would come and raid whole villages and take the women and children... And they would take them off to the to the uh, uh, slave bazaars in uh, the Mediterranean and sell these women off, sell these children off to you know Muslims who believed in raping, believed in slavery and abuse, beat these people, mutilated these people. That was Irish. Okay, so you say, well, what about the British? Well, British were also raided by the Corsairs, British villages, and they were taken off. Uh, they, when they would pirate ships in the Mediterranean, uh, they would take the women and children and sell them in the bazaars. I mean, this is why you got the Marines going to Tripoli, is because they were doing this. And by the thousands of people, that's oppression. Uh, but we can go back farther in history when uh, the Brits, the Angles, as they were called, they were called Angles because they were angels. Uh, they, that, from the the viewpoint of a Roman looking upon them, uh, referred to them as angels because they were tall and beautiful people, blonde, and he found them very attractive. Well, what were they doing? They were being sold into slavery sold into bondage. All over Europe, you'll find whites oppressed by other whites, by Muslims, by blacks, you know, North Africans coming up. 
with the Moors, taking these whites off into slavery. So whites have been oppressed. Don't ever tell me that whites have never been oppressed. People oppress people. It's about righteousness. It's not about race. I mean, all the blacks that were sold into slavery from Africa were usually captured by other blacks first and made slaves and sold by blacks. That's the way, you know. I mean, the first person who owned a slave in America was a black man. That's right. He took an indentured servant who ran away and he took him into court and he got him, the which I think was an unjust decision, made him a slave for the rest of his life because he ran away before his indenture was up. Well, that's that's unjust. That's unjust, cruel punishment. But it happened in the courts because it happened in the hearts of the people. And the hearts of the people began to turn away from righteousness and began to do righteous, unrighteousness. They became reprobates, which we will talk about before we finish this series. Because you're rep- a reprobate. Did you know that? Did most of you out there are reprobates. You may be good in a lot of things, but you're also reprobates. And I'll show you this. I'll prove it to you. And it's not like you're totally wicked, but you're not totally righteous either. So we, I could come and talk to you about how good you are, how wonderful you are, how Jesus loves you, how you're saved because you accepted Jesus. But if I don't point out where you are failing to accept Jesus... I'm not doing my job. I'm not loving you. I could get a lot of money preaching that way. You can see all the ministers out there who do preach this gobbledygook, pansy-handed Christianity. They make lots of money. They get lots of support. But it takes, you know, I don't, I don't want that kind of support. If you support me, you have to support me because I'm telling you the truth. You have need of repentance. I'm not saying you haven't ever repented of anything. I'm just saying there are things that you have not yet dealt with. That you have need of repentance. And you're running out of time. Because the clock is ticking. You know, people try to make comparisons. You know, if you actually... you, you Stop looking at the news. Go to YouTube and actually look at the interviews. Look at what they're saying. Find out. Go to our webpage at preparingyouyou.com and look. You know, I don't agree with what Bundy's doing. But I don't want to see him get shot. I don't want to see, you know, people said, just bomb the deal and kill them all. What kind of craziness is that? But I'll show you craziness. We'll, we'll get into craziness. So anyway, I wrote something to somebody on the New York group who's just, his mind is just stuck in religion. You know, in religious philosophy. He's followed this and everything. It gives him a sense of self-righteousness. But it, it it's steering him off the path. And it's keeping him off the path. And all of his problems are coming from the fact that he's off the path. Now, he may have a genuine desire to do what Christ says, but he got off the path. And, and I've always given this analogy of a guy, because I uh, just is etched in my memory, where somebody had been in a shipwreck, and they were floating and clinging to debris, uh, and a lifeboat comes along from another ship and tries to pick him up and pull him into the lifeboat. And they got his feet up, and they got his 
waist up, and they got their arms around him, and they're pulling him into the lifeboat. There's several guys pulling on him. And he is holding on to the wreckage, the ropes that were on the wreckage that were floating there. They're trying to get him into a... It's a big lifeboat. They're trying to get him into the big lifeboat. And he won't let go of the wreckage. Because, you know, I don't know how long he'd been in the water, but because it was Pacific, so I mean, it was the Atlantic, he'd probably be dead. It was the South Pacific. But they were trying to pull him in, and he won't let go of the wreckage because it had been his lifesaver for so long. You know, for whatever line, you know, when he was facing death all alone, fear and everything. He, and so now you, you, we're getting you in the boat. We're, we're gonna, we're, we're saving you. <laughs> you won't let go of this debris floating in the water. Because you've worshipped that belief, debris. That's been your salvation. You would have drowned without it. You're gonna have to let go in order for, because we can't get it in the, we can't get this wreckage into the lifeboat. <laughs> You've got to let go. And so there's guys out there reaching, trying to pry his hands loose from the ropes that he's clinging to. And, you know, it's just, it, it's just the way it is. I mean, he, he's, he's probably dehydrated and, and everything. And, and, you know, that, that sticking to that has saved him. And so now we have to get him to release his grip on that garbage that he's hanging on to. And, you know, that's what you may have to do. I mean, when you go out to save somebody who's drowning and they're thrashing around in the water, sometimes you have to you have to kind of knock them out because they'll drown you while you're saving them because they're in a panic. So anyway, don't drown me. Okay? <laughs> but I'm going to try to show you the path to liberty. I mean, this whole series should go out to all your three percenters and your oath keepers and all this stuff because they need to understand. You know, they have a sense of righteousness. Great. They have a sense of courage. Great. They're off the couch. Great. But you need to know where we're going. You need to know where your salvation really is. And it's not in anger. It's not in self-righteousness. It's in the character of Christ. And, and Christ was no couch potato. Christ was courageous. And Christ was actually fighting the real evil. Because, you know, a lot of the guys out there on the, on the bad guy's side, they're not that evil. They're just as deluded as you have been at times. There, but by the grace of God, go you. Don't think you're better. Don't become a mental racist. I, I've got a copy of the Constitution. That guy doesn't. You know, and I see that anger. You know, in, in like the newsman who, uh, you know, the guy filming for the Bundys during their deal, he, he got angry, so angry. At uh, the Oregon broadcast guy, which uh, you know, I I could see what what about that guy that could make you angry, <laughs> the, the way he approached the news media. I've dealt with uh, you know Oregonian people and news people like that, but you know, actually, I, I was dealing with the Oregonian once, and I was being interviewed uh, about a church matter 
for another church. And uh, I was pointing out the injustice that had taken place. And he was asking his pointed questions. And I says, no, no, that, you know, I had the same kind of conversation with one of the senators of of, uh, of Oregon. Because they asked me, how do you want the law changed? I says, we don't want the law changed. We want the law obeyed. <laughs> and I, I quoted the law. Because that's, that's me. I actually could read her the law right out of my memory. Word for word. And tell her what the law is. And say, this is not what they're doing. And she did. She had to look it up. And she, th- she thought, oh my gosh. And so she was trying to do something about it. And they broke the law time and time again. Thwarted her at every turn. And this is a, this is a state congressman. I mean, you wouldn't believe this stuff. I won't go into the big long story. but And, and you know, that's what you're seeing with uh, uh, Greg Walden. You know, he says, that they're telling me that, well, it depends on the interpretation of the law. He says, don't talk to me about the interpretation of the law. I wrote it. <laughs> and they said, they're just so unreasonable. And it's just, and he's talking about, this is the government talking about the government. People in government. Are we going to call Greg Walden anti-government? Because he says that they're unreasonable and abusive and... I mean, this is the government telling you this. Wake up. It's not about government. It's about righteousness. Stop giving your loyalty to Republican, Democrat, United States, you know, Iraq, Iran, all these things. Give your loyalty to righteousness. Stand up for righteousness. But then you got you gotta have to study to find out what righteousness is. You have to learn a little bit. You gotta find the facts. You know, all the guys who have the knee jerk reaction, ah, oh, they're just a bunch of white guys, you know, guns, you know, get them. You know, no, they're it, it, they're just people. Find out what's the matter. Dialogue. Look into it. That's actually what one of the biggest things they're asking. Just look into the injustices that have been going on. Unfortunately, when we get way down into it, you're going to find out you're a part of the injustice. Bundy's going to find out he's a part of the injustice. Now, in the Hammonds are going to find out they're a part of the injustice. And this is why they're falling prey to the injustice. This is why they're vulnerable to the injustice. This is why they can be gobbled up by the injustice. Because they're not really walking in the ways of Christ. And I'm going to show that you're not walking in the ways of Christ. So are you going to turn the radio dial? <laughs> you going to turn me off? Because <laughs> you don't want to hear that? You know, people, I know somebody wants, they want more sermons in church. I'll give you a sermon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! <laughs> For ye pay tithe or mint and inus and come uh, in and have omitted the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. What the Hammonds are getting is not mercy. Not mercy. And it's because the people of America... I'm not going to limit it to Harney County, are not people of faith in Christ. They're people of faith in something else. 
they, they are letting somebody else write upon their hearts and their minds. And it's bringing about injustice because they're reprobates. Here's that word again, which we'll get to eventually. These, he says, these you ought to have done. This is Jesus. And not leave the other undone. If the modern Christians, including yourself, truly repented, why are you not? Why, why are you doing what the Pharisees did wrong? Why are you leaving righteousness undone? Why aren't? Why can't we get righteousness for people? And I'm going to show you. Go go through a whole list of some of the things that are unrighteous that happen every day. And I'm going to show you how you're you're being destroyed because of it when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. Matthew 23:23. 23, 23. Woe unto you, because you're not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Israel was a government. Christ preached a kingdom. He actually preached a government, and those he appointed that kingdom to the apostles. I appoint unto you a kingdom. He tells them, I'm going to take the kingdom away from them, these guys who had the kingdom, the Pharisees. And the Sadducees and, and the others that were working in government. I'm going to take the kingdom away from them. Nobody sat on the throne in Jerusalem at that time. Nobody had sat really on the throne, lawfully on the throne of Jerusalem since the death of King Herod the Great. 
Herod Antipas was not the king in Jerusalem. He was in, the kingdom was divided up. There was nobody sitting at the main seat of the kingdom. There were people sitting in the seat of Moses, but they weren't sitting in the seat of the king. But if you could sit really as king and high priest, then you could change everything. And that, of course, is where Christ was. He was king and high priest. According to the order of Melchizedek, which goes all the way back to Abraham, who was anointed by Melchizedek, who was actually Shem, but maybe don't you don't know that yet, but we won't go in there. But anyway, uh, so he says in, in 23, 23, woe unto them because they're not attending to the weightier matters. But he had been saying a lot of woes before that. He, he went and said, he spake to the multitude and to his disciples, who were, he said that was his little flock, that he was going to appoint the kingdom to them after he takes it away from the ones who had it. But he says, saying, the scribes and the Pharisees, scribes are actually like accountants. You know, I mean, they're the ones who are collecting taxes and all that kind of stuff. Or at least they're accounting is collecting the tax. They Sometimes they had other guys who actually enforce the taxation. Gabbis and Molokais. But the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. He didn't say they had a right to it, but that's where they're at. And what was that? The head of government. Therefore, who, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. This is, the, this is the same as what he was saying, be friends with the unrighteous mammon. Same as what when Moses said, pay your tally of bricks. But he says, now, but you're supposed to do something else. And he says, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Who do you know who says and does not? Politicians. (laughs) They're going to do this, they're going to do that, and then they don't do that. Although President Obama promised you change, you've got change. (laughs) I don't know if it's what you thought you were going to get, but you got it. And, you know, I don't want to pick on him. He's President of the United States, and that's what the people have spoken and wanted. And they should have that. And God intends them to have what they want. Because when God wishes to punish us, he grants us what we want. <laughs> Unfortunately, you live in a democracy and some of you didn't want what you got. And some of you who got what you wanted don't want it anymore. <laughs> but it serves you right. Because you haven't been following Christ. And that's what we're going to get down to. We're going we're gonna to show you where you should have been going all along. Which is not electing this guy or that guy instead. But in electing to follow Christ. And I know you think you do now and you go to church and you believe in Christ and all this stuff, but we're going to show you you don't. It's going to take some time to sink in. So I have to get you to accept certain premises first because you're going to think I'm going to be attacking your delusion and you're going to fight back. No, no, don't take my uh, my lifesaver away from me. I want to hold on to this garbage. I don't want to get into the lifeboat. <laughs> No, we'll we'll get you up there. We'll get your hands off of the garbage and get your hands onto the righteousness. And you can't argue with the righteousness. I mean, you will see righteousness and we're going to show you. I'm telling you. I'm giving you a heads up. And I'm doing this in love to help you out. You guys see that there's a problem. You see that there's trouble. You need to find out where your salvation is. 
It's not in the Constitution. I know you think it is. You know, you should not be trying to get your constitutional rights. Now that sounds... What? We should... We demand our constitutional rights. Why? Constitution was written to grant rights to government. You were endowed by God with certain inalienable rights. Constitutional rights have nothing to do with your rights and that were endowed by God. They have to do with rights endowed by the Constitution. You know, your right to bear arms didn't come originally from the Constitution. Your right to freedom of speech didn't come from the Constitution. Your right to freedom of religion didn't come from the Constitution. Those are written to restrict and control government. Your rights come from somewhere else. They come from God. Now, you want the right to the rights given to you by God. You have to take the responsibilities given to you by God. And I know some of you are. But I'm going to show you how this real... I'm going to give you the missing pieces of the puzzle. But I have to prepare you for it. Because it's kind of scary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, anyway... He, he goes on to say, uh, for they bind heavy burdens and grievous uh, to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their little fingers. But all their works they do uh, for to be seen of men. They make uh, broad their... Uh, Phylacteries, you know what a phylactery is? Is a, this little? It's a, it's a little leather box. They put a piece of scripture in, and they they strap it to their forehead, and they wrap it around their uh, the the forehead with a leather thong, and then they take the end of that leather thong and they wrap it around their arm all the way down to their hand, and they hold it in their hand. And that's that's a external. Ritual that is metaphorically representing something that could help you. And it's what you would be doing. It represents the process of studying to be quiet. Okay? That little leather box you see the Jews wearing and wrapped around their head and all the way down their arm and everything. It is a metaphor, a ritualistic metaphor for the process of studying to be quiet. Okay, now I've said that twice. So that kind of sinks in. So you can picture that. This is called this phylactery. They actually have a couple other names for it, but that's one of the, that's the way it's translated in the King James. It's about meditation, which is a form of prayer. It's It's not an action prayer, which is the work you do during the day. It's a waiting prayer. Waiting upon the Lord. That's what you do when you, you're you going through this process that they, the phylactery represents. Which is just a, a gimmick, a, an exercise. You know, and it means nothing without the Spirit. And of course, they had phylacteries and they were doing all this stuff. And they, they wave back and forth, you know. They, you know, they... Uh, wobble back and forth in front of the wailing wall and all that kind of stuff. That's representative 
that's not that's not how it works and but we we won't go into all that it gets too much off the subject but I'm making a mental note for you we'll deal with that in our meditation series uh, but he goes on but all their works they do for to be seen it's all about pride and arrogance vanity the the they love the uppermost room it goes on there and he kind of and it says uh but then this is this is where he gets in he says uh but be not ye called rabbi which means teacher for one is your master even Christ and all ye are brethren now he's talking to the multitude Master is the anointing, is what he's saying. Even the anointing, the anointed, the Messiah, the Messiah. And all ye are brethren. Christ wanted to be our brother, not our father. Now he said that, and then he said something really important. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. This includes not being masters over one another. Not rulers over one another. Democracy is where 51% of you rule over the other 49. Kingdom of heaven is not a democracy. It's a pure republic. Under God. Who writes upon your hearts and your mind. When you follow his way, his path. So this is what we're going to show you is how to get there. And we're going to show you what's keeping you from finding it. But he that is greatest amongst you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. That same idea he repeats when he says, I appoint unto you a kingdom. That same idea he repeats between when he appoints you a kingdom and when he says, You are not to be like the princes of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors. That's those fathers of the earth. Who, but they exercise authority one over the other. They are masters over one another. They rule over one another. And so you say, oh, this bureaucracy here or that bureaucracy here is ruling over us and is abusing us and putting us in jail and, and accusing us and, and uh, taking away huge sums of money, taking away our ranch and our livelihood. And oh, these terrible masters. And you weep and you wail about it. But did you know you were doing the same thing? You were committing the same sin. And because you committed the same sin, you did not have the protection of God. Now, what they're doing to you may still be unjust and unfair and unrighteous, and we'll get into that too. And in each time we get into these different levels, we're going to come back to the fact that you're doing it. I mean, uh, Bundy's got 11 kids. Are they home taught? Are they going to public school? Huh? Huh? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> if you're sending your kids to public school, aren't you masters over the people in your community? Because you're forcing the people in your community to pay for your child's public education. I mean, what's it cost to send a kid to school? $10,000 a year? 11 kids? 
let's do the math. Eleven thousand, or is it one hundred ten thousand dollars a year? Is he paying that much in taxes to the county for the services he's getting, free education for his kids? I don't want to pick on him. I'm picking on you. How many kids are you sin? How many kids did you sin? Do you take care of your parents? Or do you have the government take care of your parents through Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid? If you do, you are masters one over the other. And so, quit complaining about your masters. Because you chose to be masters over others. Others may choose to be masters over you. You cannot win this war unless you repent. Because Christ is saying not to be that way. He said it over and over and over again. How many of those rich preachers that are preaching to you are saying, no, you get to take all those benefits, just come to church and we'll make you feel good about it. You hypocrites. Woe unto you. Now, you know, you're hearing this from a guy who would pardon the Hammonds in a minute. Who would say... Well, I, if I was president, I probably couldn't do this. And that is another reason why. Because I don't think the president has the power to even stop it now. But, uh, I mean, way back in the days of Kennedy, you might have had a chance. But uh, And he might have been thinking about doing that. I don't know. But he didn't have the strength of character either. I mean, he couldn't even stay loyal to his wife. How's he going to be loyal to you? I mean, he had certain sense of justice. I think he cared about this country. I mean, it's only a matter of time before you get a president who doesn't care about the country. Maybe you got one now. I don't know. What do you think? You know, you, you've you got a government that doesn't care about you. In, in many aspects. I mean, in government, what is that? I mean, we're talking about millions of people that are in the government. <laughs> so, but, and, and I'm sure some of them do care about you. But they don't care enough to give up any benefits. They don't care enough to risk their pension. They don't really care enough to risk their pride. You know, just talking last night to someone who is a friend of Judge Hogan. Known him for years. Judge Hogan going to come back and say, you know, publicly say, I mean, he's got his pension. They can't take his pension away from him, really. I mean, they probably could, but uh, he's going to lose it anyway. Because there's going to be total economic collapse and he and his children and his children's children are going to be dying. Because he doesn't have the armor of God. Because he isn't as much of a Christian as he thinks he is. and But neither are you. So I'm not picking on him. But if this gets to him, let him hear. He needs to speak up for righteousness. He knows that if they spent any more time than he gave them, which even what he gave them is a shock to my conscience. But if he, And they are spending the rest of the time. He should come out and says, I said that was a shock to my conscience. To give them any more, and it's still a shock to my conscience that the judiciary has decided to do this. Because they did not have to. And we'll go over why they say they can do this. And we'll show you how insidious this evil is. But I'm going to bring it back to your doorstep. Because I can't do anything about those people who aren't listening. But if you will listen and follow the ways of Christ. You can, you will see miraculous changes. And the armor of God will come over you and protect you. But if you don't, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourself, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. What's he talking about? I thought the kingdom of heaven was in you. He's talking about you going into the kingdom. He's talking about people having the power to shut up the kingdom of heaven. So you can't go in. The kingdom of heaven is within you. But you can still enter into the kingdom of heaven at the same time as within you. That's called a paradox. Okay? Get get used to it. It's The, the Bible's full of them. The kingdom of heaven is those people who want to live by righteousness, faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty. And the Pharisees weren't going to let them do that. They weren't going to do that. They want to live by their Corbin, their benefits, their Social Security, their Medicare, their Medicaid, their welfare. But Christ was saying no. John the Baptist was saying no. If you have extra, share with those that don't have enough. You do it by faith, hope, and charity. If you're not doing it by faith, hope, and charity, and they're taking care of your elderly, and taking care of the sick, taking care of uh, the widows, the orphans of your society, the education of your children. If you're not doing that by faith, hope, and charity, you're not following Christ. Now, I'll give you an idea of what made America great. If you were growing up in the days of Thomas Jefferson, and you wanted to go to college, you could go to Thomas Jefferson and get a student loan. No, I'm kidding you. You couldn't go to Thomas Jefferson and get a student loan. You didn't need to go to Thomas Jefferson and get a student loan. You could go to Harvard and you didn't have to pay any tuition at all. If you didn't have the money, you didn't have to pay tuition. If you could keep up the grades, if you're not going to keep up the grades, they, they don't want you there. But if you were willing to study and work at it, you could go to Harvard for free. Because other people would pay your way through faith, hope, and charity, through donations. That's what made America great. Not socialism, love for one another. Socialism isn't love for one another. Socialism is exercising authority one over the other. Calling government master. Calling, you know, what is it, Bernie master. He will make them pay for your education. He wants to be master. You just listen to him. He's going to make them do it. No. That's not Christian. That's not compassion. Because that destroys society. It destroys the character of society. Socialism destroys the character of society. If you have a socialist nation, you know, like Europe, take Europe, they're, they're almost all socialist nation. Sweden, socialist nation. Uh, Germany, socialist nation. Democratic Socialist Party won World War II. Did you know that? I mean, FDR was Democratic Socialist. And Hitler was a Democratic Socialist. So the Democratic Socialists won World War II. <laughs> That's it. And now, but if, if if a nation was socialist nation for say fifty years, just fifty years, they've been a socialist nation for longer. But say for fifty years, you could actually bring in immigrants into that country by the thousands, who go around and rape children daily, daily. You know, one year in Sweden. There's a thousand rapes. 300 of them will be uh, uh, children. 
raped by immigrants. Okay, did you let those numbers sink in there for a minute? 300 children in Sweden. Children raped by immigrants. And what are the people doing? They're just letting it happen. I mean, there was a 13-year-old girl who were taken by three immigrants, kept for days, raped repeatedly, ended up at the police station, and the police held her there without her parents, without counsel, without, you know, really taking care of her in any way, and grilled her for three hours until she finally said that, you know, it didn't happen. Except for the medical people who did examine her said it did happen. She was raped multiple times. But the police got her to confess that it didn't happen. So they threw the thing out sent her home. And people go out on the street and are mentioning this. And telling it with loudspeakers. Explaining. Her cousin is there explaining what had happened. Her cousin almost in tears with loudspeaker, and they get a little crowd around, and you hear this little clap, clap, applause. And then everybody goes home. Socialist nation. That's what happens in a socialist nation. People are being raped in a car. I mean, that's what you hear the car screaming for help, begging for help, being raped in the car. And uh, the car's moving around, a little tiny, like Ford Escort. Like somebody's struggling in there. On a public street, parked right there on a public street, person after person comes by, hears this, scamper by, run by, just get out, move by quickly. They don't even call on their cell phone. I think somebody's being raped in this car. They don't even call. They just go by and do nothing about it. 85% of the people did absolutely nothing. How could that be? Socialism. Socialism. It's not your job. You don't have to worry about your neighbor. Don't don't worry about your neighbor there being raped behind the curtain. That's somebody else's job. You don't have to care. You don't have to love your neighbor as yourself. You see? You're saved by grace. You just have to think you believe in Jesus. And you're saved. You see? These people think they're Christians. They're not Christians. These people think they're good people. They're not. They're the wicked of the world. Everybody who scampered by and didn't even call. You know, every one of those people had cell phones. That nobody called out, "Help! Help! There's somebody being raped here." But they would just, you know, I I would love to do that on the street. And then everybody who stopped. I would want their names and number. And I would want to give... Actually, when they finally found somebody in Sweden who did this, all I can tell you is at least one of them, there was two guys, who you know opened up the door and grabbed a guy who was in there and dragged him out. The woman wasn't being raped. It was a recording. But it sounded like it. Looked like it. And they 
they opened up the door and they dragged the guy out and they started going in the car to find out who was getting raped and they didn't know if there was one guy in there or two guys in there. They didn't know. They didn't know the guys were armed. But they weren't going to go walk by. They were going to do something. And the, the guy they dragged out and they, they held him down on the ground and when he tried to get up, they started punching him. Finally, he convinced them, hey, this, this is, you're being filmed. This is a test. We're looking for, at, when they got up, they were hugging these guys. <laughs> I've told this story a couple of times, but I mean, it's it's impressive. They finally found somebody who would do something. Unfortunately, in Sweden, they found somebody to do something. He was a Frenchman, for gosh sakes. <laughs> socialism. Years of socialism. It has destroyed you as a nation morally. In Sweden, Norway, Germany, France, England... Ireland, you know, the land of the Vikings letting their women get raped and running away. What cowards. What despicable cowards. What do they deserve? Well, they're getting it. You know, at this point, I say, get out. Get out of those countries. Gather together. You know. Well, I, 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 you know, look for others. Seek others. Start coming together. You don't have to leave the country. Um, but start gathering together with others and start caring about one another. Start rekindling the fire that once made you guys great nations. Do this in America, Canada, Australia. I don't care where you're at. It needs to be done. This is what we're preaching. This is the kingdom of heaven. If you don't, then you're not going to be entering the kingdom of heaven now, here on this earth. It's at hand. It's within your reach. It means that you have to repent and start thinking about others, loving others as much as you love yourself. Stop trying to be masters over one another in all the little ways that are socially acceptable today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, woe unto you is what we've been talking about. But let's let's get into some actual statistical information and data so you can see what I'm talking about that is going on right in front of you all the time. And I'm going to show you all this political rhetoric, all this, like, get another guy elected. None of these guys that you're going to get elected understand the real essence of the problem. So, none of them are your salvation. The salvation is you have to repent. You have to begin to see the truth, admit the truth in yourself, and start acting accordingly. And this will give rise to a light in the nation, because it's the Christ is the way and the truth and the light. We're going to show you how you're not following Christ, you're not following the way, you're not following the light, and therefore you are being absolutely stupid and ignorant in what you choose to do, and what the world is choosing to do that you think is perfectly good, and... Or you know, may not think it's perfectly good, but you think a lot of what you see going on is good. And it's not good. It's the reverse. 
And if I show you this clear enough and you accept the truth of that, then you can accept the next truth and the next truth and the next truth. Because that's part of turning around. And you may have already started turning around, but we have to keep you going in the direction of the kingdom and see all levels of that. Because that's how you become perfected as saints. And in what's coming to this nation and the world in general, uh, not to the world absolute, you're going to need to become saints because you're going to need the power of saints to overcome. It will take a miracle to save you now. All life will perish from the face of this earth unless you begin to wake up. And and this has to do with the the, the reality of creation because you are so asleep, so far away from the kingdom now. Now, some of you are beginning to turn around, beginning to wake up, beginning to see, but you have to set aside your anger, set aside your judgment, and really humble your heart to let God in so that God is your master, not me. I'm not your teacher. I'm going to tell you stuff, but you're not going to get it unless you let God into your heart. This is what Christ was saying about a lot of these things. You know, you know you're not supposed to covet your neighbor's goods. You know, you know you're not supposed to pray to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other, who are the fathers of the earth, who are the gods many that Paul talks about. The fathers of the earth, the gods many, the benefactors who exercise authority, all the same people. They're the guys who want to rule over you, want to rule over your neighbor. They want to provide you with benefits and that's how they entice you in. But you become a fit savage when you go that way, it changes you. You will actually aid and abet uh, rapists. You will know that a rape is going on. My son and, and one of our ministers came upon somebody who had drugged a girl and was raping her in the bushes. Fortunately, the, it's, uh, another woman had already come and broken it up and the guy was fleeing. But they came up at the commotion because they were a little farther away. They went over there right away when they saw the commotion. But a girl had chased them off. There were other men standing by who saw the whole thing and they didn't come. They weren't going to interfere. Yeah, we knew that they were. Yeah, but we didn't do anything. Men. I use the term loosely. (laughs) Because they're not men. But then again, we have to forgive them because they're victims of the same thing that we've been victim of. If we think that they're the problem, and they are, But while we're thinking they're the problem, we're not realizing that we're the problem. I'm telling you, you could have broke up that rape from across the street without even crossing the road if you were full of the Holy Spirit. It couldn't have gone on if you were full of the Holy Spirit. But you're not. And why? Because you still have need of repentance. You still need to go farther than just, you know, repenting of the few things that you've repented of already. You need to go and seek the righteousness of God, which is not just a little righteousness. It's real righteousness. Now, I'll give you, you know, one of the reasons the Hammonds went to jail the second time is because it was a mandatory sentence written out in a statute that if you're convicted of this supposed crime, which they didn't really commit because the judge said there was no malicious intent, if there was no malicious intent, then it's not an act of terrorism. By definitions. He should have said, I can't find them guilty of malicious intent, therefore I can't find them guilty of terrorism, because terrorism requires malicious intent, and they weren't doing that. 
You might be able to charge them with negligence, except there was no damage. That that was the judge knew there was there wasn't a hundred dollars worth of damage, not a hundred dollars worth of damage yet they're charged with a felony. How can you do that? Now, uh, but anyway, so the judge erred, and he needs to confess that error for his own salvation's sake. So if somebody sends this show to the judge, uh, you know, maybe I'll ask Tom to do it. <laughs> Anyway, uh, in a, a, a ruling, actually a pair of rulings, five to four rulings in the Supreme Court, said that the constitutional uh, ban on cruel and unusual punishment is not violated by sentences at the outer limits of the, the, the 1994 law that allows this, you know, three strikes and you're out kind of thing. 50 years to life for shoplifting $153 worth of videotapes or 25 years to life for a man who stole three golf clubs is okay in the eyes of at least five of the people who made this ruling. Five to four and they make this ruling that suddenly becomes law. These are the gods of your world. These are the ones who decide good and evil. They're saying that's good. It's not evil. And so you can do that. This is what God's many means. This is what it meant back in the time of Paul. This is why Jesus is should be your God. He should be deciding what is good and evil. Because He is a merciful God. But you don't pray to Jesus. You do on Sunday. But the rest of the week, you're praying to the gods many of the world, the benefactors who exercise authority. Give me free education for my children. Give me uh, social security for my parents. Because I don't want to take... I I want to do no more ought for my parents. Because I like your Corbin. You know, take care of the needy of society. We're going to show you where that leads to. So, in these two separate cases, the justice rejected the argument that the sentences imposed on these two California men were so disproportionate to their crime that they violated the Eighth Amendment. So, they rejected that. A lawyer for one of the men uh, said the two decisions effectively end future challenges to the three strikes law as the sentence at issue were so extreme in light of the men's crimes. And now, actually, in arguing all this stuff, they bring up the fact that these men actually did commit many other crimes, and they were arrested for them, and they were sent to jail, and they and they came out. You know? I mean, the one guy who was stealing the videotapes, these weren't porn tapes, these were children tapes. You know, I guess he had kids and he wanted to give them... You know, he was stealing, but he's probably a kleptomaniac. I mean, he probably has got a lot of other serious problems. And But their idea is to send him to jail for 50 years. And I'm going to show you how stupid you are. How stupid these judges are. How stupid the entire nation is to do this. I'm going to show you. And you're going to say, boy, are we stupid when I'm done. You watch. One was sentenced to 50 years to life. For stealing nine children's videotapes uh, from a, uh, from two different Kmart's, 
and the other was sentenced to 25 years to life for walking out of a pro uh, golf shop with three golf clubs. They were actually hidden in his pants. He slid him down his pants, so he was limping out, you know, because he can't bend his knee anymore. <laughs> this is this is a stupid crime. He's going into jail maybe for life because of this, because he had other crimes that he had done. Uh, and so anyway, he says that fifty years to life for shoplifting, shoplifting isn't grossly disproportionate. What is? Uh, this is the Erwin Cheminsky, who is a law professor for the University of Southern California. Who, who represented one of the men. I think that's the most disturbing is that this, uh, these five justices, which actually, uh, you know, there's nine on the tribunal, in the majority expressed no concern, let alone any outrage. It didn't shock their conscience that people are being imprisoned for life for a minor offense like shoplifting. Now, some of you may think, well, this guy, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd committed a lot of other, you know, the petty thefts a lot, sometimes burglary and stuff like this. And, you know, I don't remember all of them. You can read them. They're, I mean, these are actually well-known cases. And there's, the, guys have gotten these life sentences for stealing a pizza. Okay? Life sentence for stealing a pizza. They just didn't appeal that one all the way up to the Supreme Court. Now, other states are joining on to this to get repeat offenders. Is this... Is this smart? Is this wise? Is this Christ-like? No, it's the absolute stupidest thing I have ever heard in my whole life. Because another robbery is going to take place because of that decision. And not a petty theft robbery. Not $156 worth of tapes. I'm talking serious, major, outrageous, billion-dollar robbery. A $39 billion robbery is going to take place. Because of that decision of those five guys. I mean, you talk about gods. I mean, these are, these are your gods. These are your gods many. And they're your gods many because you're not following Christ. Because all these people who say they're Christians, they're not. They're hypocrites. Woe unto them. And this is the woe. Okay, where, where am I throwing these $39 billion and all? Where am I getting that figure from? Uh, the Vera Institute of Justice. Released a study in 2012. Now, this is 2012. Now, it's 2016. So, these numbers are actually low. Uh, the, the aggregated cost of prison. And actually, they're using figures back to 2010. And they, they, they looked over 40 states that participated in this study. That produced... A, you know, I mean, this is only 40 states, so nationwide it's even far more. It's, it's billions, of four over 40, 50 billion dollars. Easy. The annual average taxpayer cost. This is the taxpayer cost. In these states. Comes to $31,286 per inmate. $31,286 per inmate. 50 years times $31,268 is $1,563,000 and well, actually plus $400. But that's chump change. You know. Because the guy stole nine children's videos out of Kmart. You are going to have to pay a million and a half dollars 
to incarcerate that man. <laughs> Are you stupid or what? <laughs> Your justice system needs to be overhauled from the bottom up because it ain't no justice in the system. You just got fined one million and a half dollars because that guy stole $150 worth of videotapes. You know, it'd been less if he stole them from the discount table probably because there's only nine videotapes we're talking about. <laughs> You're going to pay a million and a half dollars because he's going to go to jail for 50 years. You've, you've probably already spent more than that because he's been in the court, he's been court reporters, judges, salaries, you know, clerks, all these things, uh, heating bills, all that stuff. You've probably already spent over a million dollars on the guys. I mean, that, that, that little crime is going to cost you probably three, four million dollars before it's done. Because he stole $150. You talk about redistribution of wealth, you are stupid! You say, well, he served it. He, he committed all these other crimes. He deserves it. You know. You you haven't got a brain in your head. You know, with the technology we have today, you could put a wristband on him or an ankle band on him. You can know where that guy goes every single day. You can monitor him like they monitor the wolves out here. They got they got them with collars on them that, you know, last for long periods of time. And they, they go around and they track where they're going all the time. You could track this guy all the time. You track, you know, if you were, if you had a president, instead of spending millions and millions of dollars, you're tracking every man, you know, and collecting millions and billions of emails and, and listening in on my telephone call. You could be watching these guys and you could actually do it in a way that would help them. Cause he, he has an addiction problem. He's addicted to stealing. It is, it isn't all choice with him. You know, and he doesn't steal every time. He's not stealing every day. But he keeps falling back. He's just like somebody. It's a disease with him. You know, I mean, he's stealing children's tapes probably for his kids. You could put that on them and help him. And watch where he goes. And yeah, and if he if he does bad, you put him in, in jail again. But but then, you know, you, you spend 10 days in jail. Maybe you don't even have to do that. You just restrict him more. You know, if you do... And he has to pay... You know, like I always give him the case where a guy stole a purse. He was down on his luck. He was going to be kicked out of college. He couldn't pay his... He was sleeping in his car. I think... No, he, had, he was just about to sleep in his car because he had to pay his rent and all this stuff. And he, he snatched a purse that was sitting next to him in an auditorium. And people saw him. He confessed immediately when they caught him. And... He went to jail for years. Cost cost a hundred thousand dollars because he stole three hundred dollars and threw away the purse. The woman never got her money back. She never got her purse back. Why didn't the judge say you have to pay the woman back six hundred dollars? You have to. You're on probation. You're not going to go to jail. You're on probation. You have to buy her a new purse, and you got to take her to dinner. And you have to report here that you've got a job and you're making the job. I know people. I wouldn't be surprised if that woman didn't give him, rent him a room so he could finish college. <laughs> Instead, the people had to pay $100,000 out because he stole $300. Why? How is that? Who is... But, you know, the people deserve this because the people are 
you know, robbing from one another, taking bite out of one another. This is what's going to happen. You're going to be this stupid, this ignorant, because you're not following the ways of Christ. You could do this, you could empty these jails out, but they're not going to do, this is not going to happen, because this is a huge billion, billion, billion dollar business. Just in 40 states, they spend $40 billion in one year. Somebody's taking home big salaries, wages. This is big industry. This is a moneymaker. They want you going to jail. They love the three strikes your law. Uh, uh, so these other states say, oh, let's do that. Let's have the three strikes and you have to go to jail for 50 years law. That will lower crime. <laughs> it won't. Now, idiots will vote for that. But guys who want to go into the prison business and make billions of dollars, they will lobby that. And you'll fall for it. You know, you'll sit there eating chips and drinking beer and watching TV and shaking your fist at these stupid politicians. But you're the stupid one. Because you're not following Christ. You want to be rulers one over the other. And that's why you have such a big prison system. You want to rule over people. You don't want, you don't want to help those people stop committing crimes. You don't want to help them change. You don't want to change. So you're, you're, you're not going to create change. You don't, you're, you're, you're going to be left with change. <laughs> you're not even going to have change when you're done. You're, you're going to be in debt beyond salvation. There's, there's not going to be any hope yet, but you call yourself a Christian. You're not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You do not love one another as Christ loved you. You go to church, you sing songs, you mumble prayers, but you don't know what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God doesn't do this stuff. That's not the kingdom of God, that's the kingdom of hell. You will be invaded. And not just by fifth columns of guys. You're going to be invaded by actual military armies. And you're going to starve to death uh, by the millions. In America, this is what's coming. You're gonna, it's, it's horrible. Should you fear? No, fear not. Repent. Start changing your ways. Start coming together like the early church did. Start caring about one another. Start contributing on a daily basis into your congregation. Your congregation, you gather as much as you can so you can send it to other congregations. You don't gather as much as you can so you have lots of money in your congregational coffer. You have as much as you can that you cast your bread upon the waters to help somebody else. And you look to your ministers who are actually following Christ, who are willing to lovingly rebuke you. For your lack of faith and love for one another. What's happening? Eleven states now have more people on welfare than they do employed. Eleven states. More people collecting welfare. You think that's a big deal? More people collecting welfare? What does that mean? Households below the poverty level line receive $168 a day in government support. What's the problem with that much support? Well, the medium household income in America is just over $50,000. Which the averages out to $137.13 a day. To put that in another way, being on welfare now pays the equivalent of $30 an hour for a 40-hour week. 
while the average job pays twenty dollars an hour. <laughs> but the guys working are supposed to support all the other guys that are not working. I live in a county where seventy five percent of the people get a government check. We're just talking about the welfare people. You know, we're not talking about all the people on government check. When people say, well, there's a lot of people in Harney County that don't support Bundy and want them to leave. Most of Harney, Harney County works for the government. <laughs> so what do you expect? Of course you're going to find people that want them to leave. You know, people say, oh, they'll starve and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll leave there because they won't have any food or, and everything. Their pantries are full. People are bringing them food every day. People are supporting them. They're probably not getting a lot of food from the BLM supporters. But when I've been in situations not like this, because we never did any armed, you know, because I, I think that's a mistake. I think it's bad strategy. And I also think that, you know, Bunny needs to, somebody needs to send him this video, uh, or this audio. So he understands that as long as you are taking from your neighbor, taking a bite out of your neighbor, expect to be devoured. If you're sending your kids to public school, if you're depending upon Social Security payments, if you're depending on Medicare, Medicaid, all these government benefits from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, from the fathers of the earth, from these God's many, then expect to be devoured. You have to move away from socialism. And you don't need a government vote to do that. You need to choose to do that. That's why we want you to join the network. To gather with, to create congregations. We're going to start a policy that if you, if you want to be on our, our contact ministers group, of course, if you want to be in our ministers group, you have to, uh, you have to be a part of congregations. And, and because we're spread out, you're going to be in congregations with people spread out. But you need to start practicing the idea of caring about somebody else as much as you care about yourself. And it can't be just people you love because there is no grace. And just loving those who love you. Christ says that. What grace is there if you only love those who love you? You have to start loving people that are a long ways away. And now you have that opportunity. When we, ha when we start having nothing but local congregations and they start growing, we'll have another problem. <laughs> Of contention and people, you know, arguing and debating and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's a secondary problem with this kind of welfare. And I, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, I don't have much time left. But anyway, uh, 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 people who are diagnosed with diabetes who want to receive treatment within six months of being diagnosed with diabetes. In the United States, 93% receive it within six months. In England, 15%. Receive it within six months. Canada, 43% receive it. Less than half of the people get... Within six months of being diagnosed with diabetes, do they get help? <laughs> Lucky they're not dead. Hip replacements. 90% chance of being treated within six months. England, 15% chance of being treated within six months. And you can go to, you can go down the list. It's more and more and more and more and more. We'll talk more about that next time on Keys of the Kingdom. But you need to start getting serious about seeking it. And until then, peace on your house. May God bless you.
You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.